Fantastic. Wow. It is a joy to be with you here today. And I'm not just saying that for my wife and I to come in yesterday and to be picked up by our friends, your pastor and his family. It's a reunion for us because we consider them dear friends in our life. There's very few people that you have that you have the opportunity of doing a lot of very similar things together with in life. And we've had the joy of doing a lot of very similar things together, both in uh, the place that you've heard about this morning, what we've come from, South Korea, where I've had the privilege of serving the last 30 years, but also to have the same heart of shepherding, sharing with lives of people. And uh, it's a joy for our uh, reconnection here through this uh, time. We didn't know how the Lord was going to put all the pieces together, but I'm so glad that he has and, and also very gracious to allow me to share with you here with you this morning. So thank you, Pastor David. This morning, I'd, I would like just to quickly introduce my family to you, and uh, my wife is here with me this morning, but the rest of our kiddos are in Kentucky, and uh, wait a minute, there's our family, yes. Thank you, you're on the back, already helping me out, and I don't even know this, but my beautiful bride of 18 years, Alicia, is here, and uh, she said when I married her, because I'd already been in Korea for 12 years, she says, you've turned my world upside down, and little did we really know how things would uh, would unfold in our life that God would give us four children, and uh, they're the ages of 14 down to four. We happen to share a Karis in our family, and Karis graciously, uh, your pastor's daughter, allowed us to stay in her bedroom last night. So that was very, very special. And uh, also, uh, having kids growing up overseas just gives them the opportunity to learn another language. And so our kids, just like David's uh, Kids as well have been studying Korean from a very young age, and uh, and so today when we, we were together, there are times that we flip flop back and forth in in English and in Korean. And if by chance I say something you don't understand, just raise your hand, and my wife will probably try to interpret for me anyway here today. <laughs> that has that has happened before, not recently. Uh, as, as it's already been mentioned, I've had the privilege of serving in Korea for 30 years. My brother and I went there together in 1988, and that was when the Olympics were taking place, the Summer Olympics, and as you know, the Winter Olympics took place, maybe you've turned on your TV, it was probably a Samsung or Korean-made TV, who knows, and watched some of the Winter Olympics that took place about an hour north of, uh, of Seoul, or east, in about an hour and a half from where we're located in the city called Pyeongtaek. Pyeongtaek is a harbor city, and uh, there's about 400,000 people. It's considered a country town, actually, in Korea, <laughs> with 400,000 people next to Seoul, which is about 12 million people. Depends where you count the suburbs and so forth. But uh, I've had the opportunity not only of uh, ministering in Pyeongtaek, but we've had an opportunity of setting up a discipleship training school in the year 2000. It's called SYME. It means a School of Youth Ministries in English. And uh, that means students come learning Bible and English together for eight months. They're housed with us, and uh, a lot of, about half the students go on to study the Bible at our Bible Institute that we also have in Korea. Uh, so just to give you a brief incentive, you may think you've never even considered going overseas before because the language is so difficult. We have people, about 24 a year, that come over that are retirement age and younger. So I think that includes everybody here. And uh, they come over for two months, approximately six weeks, 
to volunteer as a teacher. You'd say, I could never teach English. Well, if you speak English, you can actually teach English. You really can't. And there's people that want to learn native English uh, just by the mere fact that you grew up in the United States. You already have that in your toolbox. And uh, I know even with talking to uh, several of you before the service here that you speak pretty good English. <laughs> so you would be quite... Uh, you, you'd be quite able to do this. And in fact, a lot of the people that come the first time, they say, you know, I'm coming to minister to the Koreans, and they find out after they've been with us that they actually are ministered to. They're benefited by doing so. So I would just throw that out there. We have, again, people that do that in Korea. We've also started one in Japan and in Taiwan that is very similar. And if you ever just decide to do that in your life, I guarantee you it would just be, be, bring a new perspective to your life, and you would be amazed at how God could use you even in that scenario. I think you can help me flip it because I'm not, I'm not able to do so back here for some reason. Okay, just a little bit of what my wife and I are a part of, something new that we've set up. It's called Family Foundations. And so we hold family camps and we do leadership training, workshops. Uh, just like here in the United States, the family breakdown, divorce has really escalated in South Korea. And so the needs, if you go to a typical pastor in Korea and you ask them, what is the greatest need? Many times they will tell you our greatest need is with the family because of the breakdown and the, just the, the so many needs that the family has today. So we had, just before we left from Korea to uh, come here, we had a family camp uh, in May, and uh, this is something that we're doing now annually, and, and God's allowed us just to be a part of doing that, and that's been really, really neat. Also, we have uh, Koreans that are uh, desiring to do family ministry in the future, and so we're excited about that. A young man named Jack Chung, who uh, used Saw in the previous picture that you wouldn't know him, but he came to our SYME, the School of Youth Ministries in English. He went on to the Bible Institute, and now he's one of our missionaries. And we have about 12 others just like him that are doing ministry with us because they've come through that little funnel uh, there. Well, the Bible Institute is located on Jeju Island. Well, before we jump there, let me just mention, because it's on the next slide, so it doesn't pass over. I also have the privilege of pastoring a church in the south end of our town in Pyeongtaek called Exciting Daegwang Church. And uh, we've also set up a Christian coalition in the area where we meet with about uh, 12 other ministries that does ministry in the city that wants to do evangelism together and discipleship. And so we have an op opportunity to partnering with other churches in the area and that's been really special. Now doing family camp with some of those churches. Uh, our kids every year, are involved just uh, in different ways, but one of the things is at Christmas time, they have an opportunity to pass, pass out Christmas packets at the subway station, the train station of Pyeongtaek is nearby our church, and it's an easy access for people. A lot of foreigners actually now live in our city because it's a foreign zone city, and about a million foreigners live in South Korea, where in North Korea, I think there's 148 foreigners that live there, 147 because one of our friends just left there recently, but anyway, it's very limited compared to South Korea. How many people live in South Korea's foreigners is growing ex and in our city because it's an international trade zone city it makes it even more so so we have in our little small church family that we've started uh, about seven different nationalities and it'll probably grow to easily 20 nationalities I would say in the next five to ten years it's just because of where we're located but anyway our kids pass out packets with a little invitation to a Christmas Eve service and uh, they enjoy doing that in the sit in uh, the in Jeju Island, it's kind of the Hawaii of Korea. That doesn't mean it's warm there all the time, but it does mean it's a honeymoon resort. People fly from Seoul, one-hour flight, to Jeju, and it's a, 
it's a fun place for people to travel and to visit, but also there's a 400,000 people that live there. Uh, there are a lot of Chinese that go to visit and so forth, but there we've set up a Bible institute that's for one year. We have about 30 students there today that study the Bible for a 12-month time. And those credits, if you study at the Bible Institute, just like you studied here in the United States at one of the Christian colleges, you can transfer as a second-year student to any uh, school around the country in North America, whether it's Canada or the United States. And so we have a lot of students that do that, come for one year and go on and do their second, third, fourth year. And people in the, in the United States that have a desire to be exposed to missions, especially Asia, will come and be a part of that just as a hint, if you happen to know somebody that would fit that category, would desire to do that, if they apply before December, they get a huge discount. And it's a significant compared, probably half the cost at least, of what a student would study at any Christian college here in the United States for if they applied before December. And it includes a trip to Israel and to Thailand. You go there for 12 days to Israel on a, uh, on a study trip. You go to Thailand on a mission trip. So I just throw that out there for free. Well, can I just brag on your church for a moment I, as i came in here this morning i was very fascinated by the very fact you have a very clean a very nice facility the lord has blessed you with to be a part of having bible studies and i see this uh, outside pastor davis told me it should be approved soon for being able to have classes and so forth it's amazing what you have here in this community and uh I just think more people need to be aware of it. We have an awareness night that my wife and I do with our students in our school uh, every quarter. So the students that come to our SYME ministry have no idea really what God could do in their life. And so we have an opportunity for them to come to our home and to share with them how they could be a part of something much bigger than they've ever thought about and joining God in what he's doing in missions around the world. And so we have an exposure, we call it awareness night that we do with our students. And that's always very, very special. But I think you guys have potential more than maybe you even realize what you could do as far as outreach from here through what the Lord's already given you. And I'm excited about what you have been given uh, and how the Lord has blessed you here. Just uh, let me mention to you, some of you already know this, but you know that the call of the Great Commission to go into all the world is a part of the call to salvation. When you are receiving Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, God has also called you to join Him in what He calls the Great Commission. You say, where do you see that? Where do you get that? Well, if you open your Bibles, this is going to be my starting point this morning. You may have an insert, too, that will help you to follow along uh, as a little guide that we'll be using. But in Matthew 4.19, Jesus says to His disciples these words, and you already know what they are, so you can repeat them after me if you'd like. It's on the screen. It says this, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Let's try it together. Ready? Begin. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Which means that when you've accepted the call of Jesus, and for some that's at different times in their life, when you've accepted the call to Jesus, you accepted the call to get involved in the Great Commission. Let that sink in just for a moment. All right? The question really then is not if you are called, but rather where and how you will be involved in the Great Commission. It's really a, not a matter of location as much as it is a commitment to the Lordship of Christ. I like the way that Pastor J.D. Greer, who uh, is a pastor in North Carolina, he says, figuring out, figuring out God's call to the Great Commission begins by applying this statement. Here it is. Whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God and then just do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. 
Just do it strategic for the mission of God. It's all for Him, as we've sung, as we've read very appropriately this morning from Psalm 103. It's about Him and His goodness. As we talk about His benefits, it's a benefit for us today to be able to get on an airplane and travel to any place in the world within a day. It's amazing how we have that opportunity. 70 years ago, 60 years ago, when the church began here, there wasn't that opportunity just to jump on an airplane and go across the world and be there within one day and, and, and to be able to even have an opportunity to expose other people that never even heard the message of Jesus one time to be able to expose them through a simple presentation of the gospel. Right, we got a little, is it me or is it, is, do I need to turn something off? Okay. Well, I would just ask you today, if you would, join me in your Bible to our main text. It's going to be in Acts. So if you would go with me to the book of Acts, whether it's flipping across the uh, iPad or whatever you have in front of you, do what you need to do, and go to the book of Acts, and we'll be looking specifically in Acts chapter 6 and 7 in just a moment. But as you turn there, Acts is all about how God wants to change the world, how God wants to change the world, and most of all, how God wants to change the world through you and me. And so it's a book of action. And uh, just to give you a simple outline for the book of Acts today, you can easily remember this. The big idea of this message, so that I won't forget it, maybe it'll be easier for you to remember this, but God desires to use ordinary people. It wasn't a very creative title, but it's true. God desires to use ordinary people and he is extraordinary in the sense that he's extraordinary interested in using people like you and me to get out the good news to people who need him and so that's the big idea of today's message now the outline the outline for the book of acts i'm going to use a little acrostic a c t s it's easy to remember things in acrostic form right the letter a if you're writing taking notes it's in your outline there stands for ascension the ascension of Jesus, the end of chapter Luke, which Luke is the author of Acts. We know that Jesus ascends into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, we find the ascension. The shortest portion of Acts, but everything explodes from here in the book of Acts. So letter A, say it together. Ascension, very good. Letter C stands for church. Church, Acts chapter 1, verse 12 onward, the church is born. starts with the upper room. The disciples are meeting to the day of Pentecost, when we know that Peter preaches a message to 3,000 people, people respond to that message. They go out to the streets, and Peter's first sermon is recorded in chapter 7 in, 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 in a way that, uh, I mean, not chapter 7. We're going to see the longest message in chapter 7 from another ordinary guy who's not a, not a messenger like, like Peter and Paul were, were very familiar with. But, in, but seven people, seven ordinary people are chosen in Acts chapter 6. Yeah, they're to pick up sticks before that's the deacons are to go out. But anyway, of these that are chosen to do so, we know that God has set up a plan to use just simply ordinary people to go out and not only preach the gospel, but to meet the needs of people, whether they're widows and uh, people that are shut in, people that are, in, and so the church has been asked to carry for those that are in need the then we have the arrest the stoning of stephen which is uh, a dramatic story but obviously he's the first martyr in the church and from there the church is born starting with great persecution and the martyr of stephen now we're going to check out this guy in just a minute because he's a 
he's going to be our character that we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 6 and 7 in just a second. T stands for troubles. In Acts chapter 8, just as we have today, troubles come into our life to test and temper the church. Troubles come to test and temper the church and the troubles of persecution, the troubles of arguments. I'm sure we don't have any of those around here, but the troubles of jealousies, uh, disagreements. However, through these troubles, believe it or not, the church is strengthened. And that's how it is in marriage, isn't it? If you've been married very long, you've probably had some friction. You've had some disagreements. You've had some troubles. And if you work through them God's way, you find out you are strengthened. You're actually stronger through the troubles than if you had no troubles. Now, if you've not been married before, you think, that that sounds crazy. But it's true if you do it God's way. So T stands for troubles. S stands for sent. And that's, the, of course, the Great Commission. The disciples we know go out. But they're also, remarkably, a lot more ordinary people that go out with the message. And they are sent to make an extraordinary difference in the world. The stories given in Acts were not given so that we might think that these heroes of the faith were some extraordinary people that only... Special people can actually be used by God, but actually more than that, it's about ordinary people that God chooses to be a part of his extraordinary plan. So that's our main emphasis here today, and that God can and he does use ordinary people. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 7, and while you're looking where we're going to go there, let me just give you the context for the whole chapter of Acts chapter 7, because this is the longest sermon that's preached, and I've been told this morning there's no football games happening today, so I can preach forever, right? No? Ohio State's not playing today. They played yesterday. I saw that on the, so I don't have to worry about going, that's right, right? <laughs> there's, there's a team that starts with the letter B around here, but they're not, the Browns, is that what it, yeah, Cincinnati Browns, that's what I was thinking. So if you've got your Bibles, let me give you the context, just real briefly. Stephen, who we've just mentioned to you, was the first martyr. He was not an apostle. And I want to make that very clear. He was not what? He was not an apostle. Okay. Stephen was not one of the twelve. He was just an ordinary guy, like you and me. But Stephen's story makes a huge turning point in the book of Acts. Because up until this point, as far as we know, the gospel movement had yet to leave the borders of Jerusalem. In fact... The disciples, the apostles, they were given in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you know, the Great Commission, to go into all the world, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth, right? But they pretty much stayed in Jerusalem, where Jesus' half-brother, James, became the, uh, a, a church leader. We know that in Acts chapter 15, the church council was held there and so forth. But they mainly stayed, remained, all the apostles huddled together, we call them the Holy Huddle, in Jerusalem, together, until... After Acts chapter 8 and starting with the beginning of, of, of chapter 8. So Stephen is the first guy that's basically picking up something that uh, is told to be given to everybody. And that is the Great Commission. And he's explaining this through many different words. But in chapter 7 through a sermon. And uh, Jesus had made it crystal clear that the disciples were to go. And to spread out the gospel. And if they're not going to go, the Lord's going to make sure it's going to go. And so it's going to happen through persecution. So without a question, up until to this point of Stephen's uh, sermon, a lot of actions take place. A lot of activity. Acts is filled with activity. You have everything from great, unbelievable miracles, the baptisms. You have people struck dead, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. 
and we have the offerings and such. But at the end of the day, the gospel had yet to leave the borders of Jerusalem. And that's going to change right here with this story of Stephen. And so Stephen's story in the Bible, I believe, is in part to show us, first and foremost, that God wants to use ordinary men and women for his honor and for his glory and what it's supposed to look like. What we as a church are to get is shown in Acts chapter 8 as we're going to get there in just a second. So my goal for us today in our time together is this, is simply this, discover how God delights to do his greatest work through ordinary people. God delights to do his greatest work through just ordinary people. And Stephen's story begins in chapter 6 when he selected to deliver food to the widows so that the apostles could focus more closely on the word and prayer. And here's what I want you to know. Number second in your outline here, you can write this, is Stephen's job was really quite ordinary. Stephen's job was really quite ordinary. It was normal. It was not something outside of something outstanding. Somebody may think as a, could be as a teacher or as a president. He was not considered one of the theological leaders of the early church. You may think today, what I do is quite ordinary. Well, this was basically, what was Stephen's job? Answer, he submitted himself to God's will for him by waiting on tables. He submitted to God's will for his life by waiting on tables. Now, I don't think it was drudgery for him that I've got to wait on tables. I think he was really, I get to wait on tables for the glory of God. He came to that point because we know he did it so well. In fact, it tells us that he did his job so well that his witness was so full of the Holy Spirit that he got the attention of many in the community, including the Jewish priest who began to turn to faith in Jesus Christ. Jewish priest, yes. They're turning to Jesus because of the actions of one ordinary guy. Pretty amazing. Well, obviously, this didn't just get the attention of one or two. It got the attention of the religious leaders who were not happy campers of that day. And they began to try to discredit Stephen. And you You've got to love this verse found in verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 10, here's what it says. I have it in the ESV on the screen, but it says, But they could, could not withstand, what? The wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So Stephen is speaking, not with his own wisdom, but he's sharing through history what God has done. And uh, he is bef- he's standing before a court. It's called the... The Sanhedrin, it's the uh, Supreme Court of the Jewish people of the day, led by 71 people, and one of those being the high priest. And Stephen then proceeds to give what I've already mentioned is the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. And he shares a pretty detailed history of Israel, Israel, showing how the entire Old Testament points forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. So Stephen is standing before the high priest of the day, the Sanhedrin, giving this message. And it's found in Acts in uh, chapter 7, and it starts with verse 54. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It won't be on the screen. I'm going to read just the climax of this sermon where it says this, starting in verse 54. And this is how it ends. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Now often we stop there, which is really unfortunate. Because chapter 8, verse 1, the story continues. So I'm not going to stop. We're going to go to the next verse. Verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against all the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, if you like to underline in your Bible, underline the words, except the apostles. That's a key turning point in Acts. Because you notice in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The ones who went scattered were not the apostles. Are you connecting the dots? God delights to use ordinary people. And this was the first time the gospel left Jerusalem. The very first time. In Acts chapter 6, we read how the apostles appointed leadership for the special needs of the church. These servant leaders didn't just hand out food, which was significantly important in funds for the needy widows of the church, but they also worked like an extension, you could say an internship or an apprenticeship with the apostles' ministry in preaching the word as well. And so they gleaned, they no doubt prayed, and then they went out and as they did their ministry, they opened their mouth and they shared about the wonders and the greatness of their God as well. You should know this was the very first time the gospel left Jerusalem. Seven chapters in, not a single apostle is involved. As we tend to know, Peter and Paul are the great you know, ones that we talk about. We read the epistles, and the apostle Paul this, apostle Paul that. But do you realize it wasn't until the missionary journeys get started, the apostle Paul is really out there going and helping uh, ignite a missionary movement beyond their borders that, we've, that we tend to know about, the three missionary journeys, right? But before this, what gets it started was ordinary people making a commitment to open their mouths to share the goodness and greatness of God. I think that's pretty significant. By the way, from that point on, ordinary people were going to be at the forefront of the gospel movement, not only back then, but even today. Today, perhaps there is somewhere near 40,000 missionaries that are out side of the U.S. borders sharing their faith with people. But I'm told around the world, there's way over 2 million Americans that are involved in business of some sort. Way over 2 million. Now, if just 10% of them are Christians, which I don't know that's true, if only 10% of them are believers, that is more than 40,000. And they have an extraordinary opportunity in places of service to make a difference, and they are in many places today, where the apostolic or missionary movement can never even make a difference. It's interesting, but Stephen Neal in his book, The History of Christian Missions, points out that by the end of the first century, there were three church planting centers in the world. I put these in your, in your uh, outline there. It says AAR, it's not AARP. Somebody said before the service, that's what it should have been, but it's not. It's three a, two A's and, a, and an R, because these are the first missionary centers that got set up in Acts. First one is Antioch. We know of that one, right? Then we have Alexandria, and the other one is in Rome. And he says in his book, what is amazing about all three of these church planting endeavors, how these churches evidently were planted by a, 
bunch of ordinary nobodies. <laughs> Nobody knows about them, who they really were. The church in Antioch is told in Acts chapter 11, it says some ordinary men showed up and planted a church in Antioch. Pretty fascinating. We don't know the names of these ordinary guys, but these men planted a church that one day would send out the Apostle Paul. Just yesterday, we're on the airplane. We're reading a story about, uh, in England, a famous pastor, preacher, by the name of Spurgeon. Everybody knows of Spurgeon, right? Do you know how he came to know the Lord? I find this fascinating. He was one day on a day similar to this. The weather wasn't quite right. And so his church where he would normally go to, the doors weren't open. He went to this church and the door was open. And he goes in and the normal pastor was not preaching. An ordinary layman, he was a shoe, shoe uh, or tailor, or sh- they're not even sure, but a person that was basically not trained to be, quote, quote, a clergy. And he is preaching the day that Spurgeon's convicted, comes to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. Now, we all know today how God greatly used Spurgeon in his generation, just as we know of others, uh, whether it be D.L. Moody or Billy Graham. But there are ordinary people that impact people's lives, just like the Apostle Paul in Antioch. We don't know who started the church there, but we know a group of people, ordinary men, started the church. The Apostle Paul is sent out. Of course, Barnabas from the church there. Uh, If you go to Acts chapter 28, you don't have to turn there, but you know that in Acts chapter 28, the church in Rome is alluded to. And it's amazing when you stop to think about it because Apostle Paul spent much of his time and effort through the book of Acts saying, I've got to get to Rome. I've got to get to the gospel of Rome. I've got to preach the gospel where it's never been shared. Half the book of Acts talking about Rome. He said, I want to preach Christ where Christ has never been named. I've got to get the gospel to Rome. Well, in order to get the gospel to Rome, what did Apostle Paul go through? Well, we know because the scripture tells us through history, Paul goes through beatings, he goes through imprisonments, he goes through shipwrecks, he goes through snake bites that, are, that, are, that, that the people then are fearful of and so forth. And finally, finally he makes it to Rome and we discover in Acts chapter 28 verse 14 when he arrives, he's greeted by, the scripture says, the brothers. He's greeted by brothers, some more ordinary unnamed men. Look at the Apostle Paul, and I imagine they say something like this to him when he gets there. We've got this church planted, but maybe, maybe, maybe you could write a book to encourage our members here in the church. We think, you know, he went there and started the church. No, just a bunch of ordinary men who did that. What we learn is that Paul didn't go and found the church. Paul discovered the church. (laughs) It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Because Paul was always anxious to getting the gospel. Similar story, really, with Jack Wurtzen in, in the ministry that I'm with today with Word of Life. He started in New York City. Didn't know that the gospel had already gone out to other places. And he came to know Christ. He was on the, just a band stool. He played a trombone, trombone uh, instrument. And he said, when he came to know Jesus, I've got to get the gospel out there. And he was praying, got a group of men to pray. Uh, the Jabez prayer, they prayed that together. But thinking the gospel had never left New York City. <laughs> And little did he know, you know, it had, but today the organization is in 70 countries, all because an ordinary man was burdened to get the gospel out. And it's pretty fascinating when you look at just history like this. Well, what we learn in the book of Acts, the story of Acts, is that a bunch of ordinary men serve an extraordinary God, and they are committed to his mission. So what takes, or what does it take, for a man like Stephen to become the man that he was? In other words, how did Stephen become a man that we know died a martyr's death, but beyond that, he sold his life out 
to God as an ordinary guy? What made the difference in Stephen's life? In other words, what's the takeaway from us? What do we learn from Stephen's life? And I think there are three big lessons that I've jotted down that you can write down if you'd like that helps me understand how Stephen became Stephen. Because I believe that the gospel has traveled further and faster on the shoulders of people like Stephen, ordinary businessmen, educators, people in medicine, whether it's through starting up hospitals like in South Korea before we ever got there, that were Christians that did that, whether it was orphanages. It's always been through ordinary people. Much greater, now this is not to limit the missionary movement of apostolic effort, the question is, what would happen today if we as a church got this right? In other words, we understood as a church, how God desires to use ordinary people. The question is, what would happen if you began to see your skill as a tool that was given by God to further the gospel? The furtherance of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, God's kingdom is what it's all about. It's not our kingdom, it's God's kingdom, and we just get to partner with Him. There's no age limits, there's no nationality preference, it's offered freely to all of us to join him in this great commission. And it started with our salvation. When we came to know him, we were already called. And some people think, I haven't been called yet. No, you were called if you came to know Christ to be involved in some way, in some way, in his ministry of getting the gospel out. Well, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29 says this. It says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. A great verse. Many of you have a skill and you're good at it. I don't know. May, you may be in construction, you could be in education, but you need to understand whatever you're involved in, whatever it is, whatever's in your hand, just as Moses had a rod and God says, What's in your hand? Throw it down and let me use it. And God turned that rod into a snake, which he used as an object lesson to get the attention of an unwise king or leader. And God wants to use you. And he wants to use me, just being willing to empty ourselves and let him fill us. Your skill could open up international doors. It really could. I remember sitting down with an accountability partner back in 1987 when I had visited South Korea. I knew that the potential was there for what Word of Life could do, but I couldn't see myself going there because the language was so difficult, the culture so different. And I remember sharing with this, my accountability partner in a Waffle House. Are there any Waffle Houses around here? Are there? I remember sitting down at a Waffle House, and as we did, he got his keys out of his pocket, and he said, Mike, you've shared me all the reasons why you cannot go, but would you be willing to put your life in the keyhole, God's door, and see if he will open it? Just as you have keys in your pocket that open certain doors, your life needs to go into God's keyhole. Are you willing to say yes to Lord, no matter where it is, whatever it is. And up until that point, I had pretty well saw myself as saying yes to certain places, but not yes to any place. And I began to realize, okay, God, you are bigger than me, and if you want to open those doors that seem impossible to me, you can do that. And little did I know, things were going to fall into place like this after I made that decision and to say, yes, Lord. And I think that's what he wants all of us to say. Yes, Lord, no matter what, no matter where, I'm available. I'm willing. That's what God is looking for. It's pretty amazing. But I realize that God has not called everyone 
obviously to go overseas. I don't believe that's God's call. But I believe there ought to be a bias towards going because the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. <laughs> and it could be across your street. It could be in another state. It could be across the world. But all of us should say, yes, Lord, rather than not me. <laughs> you don't understand. But that's the temptation. Not staying. Here's my challenge to you. What would it look like for you to follow Jesus? What would it look like? You say, I have no clue. This means whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God. Wherever you're at, but ask the Lord to help you to do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Just ask God to help you to do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And the reason the Lord laid Korea on my brother, my heart, years ago was the potential Korea had to be strategically located to send missionaries out into greater Asia. Little did we know how God would use us just by saying, yes, Lord, but we, we, we realize that God's a big God. And with over half the world's population living in Asia, and for every two faces you see, never one, every two faces you see, one has never heard the gospel. Somebody needs to say, yes, I'll go. And so if not them, I'll go. And that was how I got started long, long ago. Well, let me get you to the three key takeaways from the life of Stephen. I told you I wanted to get there, right? So here they are. If, you're, if you like taking notes and you want to make sure you fill in the blanks, I want to make sure you can do that here. The three takeaways from the life of Stephen are these. Are you ready? Yes? Okay, great. First, determined to be ready. Determined to be ready. The first reason Stephen was used greatly because he was ready to be used. How do we know that? Well, Scripture says, let me walk you through quickly these different references. First, chapter 6, verse 5, it says he is full of faith. Verse 8, he's full of grace. We go on to verse 10, he's full of wisdom. Verse chapter 7 now, verse 55, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of God's power. He is ready because he's full of God. That was the key. Full means that he was complete or fully covered over. You see, he knew his emptiness apart from Christ, and so he could be made, he, he, he made sure he was going to be filled up with the Spirit in order for God to use him. That was the big lesson. He was ready because he recognized his greatest need was Christ, and the Holy Spirit would fill him if he was open and willing. Do you know the most common characteristic repeated about Stephen that we know in Scripture is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit? How would your life be characterized if you or if I were to die next week? How would they remember us? For Stephen, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Enoch, he walked with God. What would your life be remembered by? I would trust that we would be ones who would say, we were sold out to God's mission. We wanted to please him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and that was our commitment. We loved, that man loved God. That man served him with all he had. Most common characteristic was that Stephen, was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. All Christians, you know this, that all Christians have the power of God, have the Holy Spirit of God. It's the knowledge of the power of the Spirit that makes the difference. We don't always wake up in the morning and realize we have the Holy Spirit living in us. I know I don't. But we should, because once you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And Jesus made extraordinary promises about the power and the potential of the Spirit within believers. Take a look at this verse, John chapter 16, verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your, what's the next word? What's the word? 
advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now question, how would it be an advantage for Jesus to leave his disciples? Imagine, you're walking with Jesus. You're seeing him do all these mighty works and miracles. And all of a sudden, one day, Jesus turns to you and says, it's to to your advantage that I leave, but you remain. Would you think that would be an advantage? Imagine Pastor David gets up at the end of the service today. Now, he hasn't told me he's going to do this, but he gets up at the end of the service today, and he says, you know, I've really enjoyed shepherding the church here, and I believe that God is going to do some great things, but I'm resigning today. But next Sunday, Jesus is going to be your pastor. Now, I would imagine you'd be disappointed, but you would be greatly disappointed if you knew Jesus was going to be your pastor, right? I mean, no offense, Pastor David, but wouldn't, wouldn't that be kind of exciting? Come here next Sunday, you know, Jesus is going to be here to speak to you. But Jesus has already told us it's to your advantage that I leave and the Holy Spirit is with you. I don't think we get that. The Holy Spirit lives in each of us that know him as our personal Lord and Savior. And it's to our advantage that he left his spirit, he left and his spirit's come to dwell in us. That's incredible. The Holy Spirit shows up 55 times in Acts and Stephen, he understood the Holy Spirit spoke and so he willingly listened and he followed. And I think that's the key for all of us. So the first lesson is what? He decided to prepare. He was prepared. He determined to be ready. The second key thing that I take away is to decide to be bold. You say, I am just not that type. (laughs) I bet, I honestly suppose Stephen could have said that as well. But consider Jesus. When he faced opposition, he he was challenged by critics. He boldly chose to make the ultimate sacrifice. What makes Stephen amazing truly was his confidence. When I look at his story, a confidence he apparently gained by an awareness of the presence and power of the Spirit of God. We know as the early church faced persecution, when they prayed, do you know the first prayer the church prayed in Acts chapter 4? This morning, we had a great prayer meeting. At the end of our time of prayer, we prayed together. And in our group, we didn't pray this prayer. But in the early church, do you know what their number one prayer request was for? Let me give you a hint. It was not safety, the number one prayer request in the American church today. It's not a bad prayer, but I think we should pray a little bit beyond safety. Because in Acts chapter 4, you know what they prayed for? Boldness. Boldness. And so Stephen is one of the ones that's an answer to that prayer. He's bold and sharing. And maybe the reason why there's not more boldness amongst us is we're not praying that way. And that's what their prayer was for, that they would have all boldness to speak the word of God and with clarity. Now, in case you don't think you're the type to be bold or talented or even that gifted Uh, Let me just encourage you that God is always delighted in using ordinary people. You know how I know that? Well, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Not many mighty, not many noble. What does it say? But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So if you think you're not in this talented group, guess what? You are plan A. (laughs) You are God's plan A, not plan B. If you really want to be ready and decide to be bold, let me suggest that first you need to give your life to Christ. If you've never given your heart and life to Christ, you can't just be bold and go out there and try to put on some show, some work of the flesh. You could never do it. In fact, you can't do anything of value 
really eternity's value without God living in you. And so if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the first lesson to learn is to put Christ Jesus as the Lord of your life. You embrace him and have a relationship with him. If you have a relationship with him, understand he walks with you. He lives within you. He can strengthen you and embolden you to share the word when you need to. One of the greatest needs of the church today, says Billy Graham, is to come back to the scriptures as the basis of authority and to study, then prayerfully be in dependence of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was a good quote. Lesson number three is this, and that is simply this. Delight to do God's will, even if it means death, suffering. Delight to do God's will. It says, In our text from Acts chapter 7, if you go down to verse 60, Stephen prays, do not hold this sin against them. Sounds like a familiar prayer, right? 1 Peter chapter 4, 14 says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So if somebody curses at you, cusses at you for speaking the name of Jesus, consider yourself blessed. (laughs) That's what scripture says, you're blessed. Now, you don't want to go out of your way to cause someone to curse you, right? I know people have done that. I don't think that's what scripture's begging you to do. But I think we should have this whole attitude to expect sometimes some conflict. Not because of you, but because of Christ, who they don't realize is the enemy of Satan. And that's the battle that goes on. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus had prayed a similar prayer, but we see Stephen pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. At the point of death, Stephen is demonstrating the type of forgiveness that can only come from the great forgiver. Paul affirms in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You realize it's only through the outpouring of his love that we can ever hope to pour out forgiveness to others when we've been hurt or when we've, when we've gone through any kind of struggle or pain or people have wronged us. Stephen not only teaches us to be ready, how to be bold, but he helps us to delight to do God's will even to the point of death. Notice how he ends, and we're going to end quickly. It says in this, in Luke chapter 7, I mean Acts chapter 7, verse 55, by Luke, who's the writer, it says, but he... Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus. Notice the words, standing at the right hand of God. Now, normally, when you read your Bible, you probably read the words that Jesus is what? Seated. That's right. We hear the words often, Jesus seated. This is interesting, and because most passages say that Jesus is seated in the heavens, why would he be standing? I think that's a good question to ask, right? Well, the answer to that is, I don't know for sure, but I do like the fact that Pastor John MacArthur has put these words as an explanation. He says, he sat down in terms of redemption, but he always gets up when his children are are in trouble. He's seated, it's finished in the sense of redemption, but he's standing when his children are in trouble. So I challenge you, choose to be ready, decide to be bold and delight to do God's will. That's it. Not hard lessons, but it is convictions. Determination. The world has been changed by people like Stephen who have learned to have these convictions. 
One man once said, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man who's wholly committed to him. And then he said, by God's grace, I will be that ordinary man. D.L. Moody. How does God want to use your life? I don't know. But I do know he, wants, he delights in using ordinary people. And so as this message ends, really the sermon just begins. What are you going to do with what you've learned today? With what God's shared through his servant, through, your, through the word, what is the takeaway for you? I'm not sure where this mes- message lands with you, honestly, because I don't know you. But I do know that God wanted me to share with this, this message with you for a reason. For some, it may mean asking the Lord, what step would you like me to take this week? What step would you have me to take this week to be prepared, to be bold? Maybe it's praying the prayer. Lord, help me to be bold. Perhaps it's saying, you know, I would be a volunteer, sure. I would be willing to go and teach English to people that want to hear English and learn the Bible through English. That could be a first step. It could be simply... I'll go across the street. I've never actually shared my testimony with people. Never invited them to my home for a meal and shared with them how my life changed. I'm going to do that this week. Wow, that would be bold. I don't know where this message lands, but I do know God delights in us joining him in blessing other people, even when they at first may not know why you've come to bless them. He delights in us to do his will. If you turn your outline over today, I believe there's a verse there. It's just a little scripture memory verse. And in Korea, we've been using this as a little aid each week to memorize a verse of scripture to keep our hearts focused and driven by the word. But Psalm 40 verse 8 is a simple verse. It's not too difficult to learn. Maybe you could put it on your refrigerator this week. It simply says this, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Stephen, for him to share that message, he had God's law in his heart. He knew the history. He knew it pointed to Jesus. And when it came time, he shared it with clarity and conviction. And as a result, the church was emboldened. And yes, the church went out as Jesus asked his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They ended up going into other parts of the world. But it started with ordinary people saying, I'm willing. I'm going to do something with my best that's been given to me. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads just for a moment of prayer? Perhaps you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've never embraced him to be your Lord and Savior. And today, God's calling you to himself. You'd say, please pray for me. I don't understand it all, but I understand I have a need. For Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, I today want you to pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just ask you to slip up your hand. Say, please, please pray for me as you close today.